Hello and welcome to the Random Box Podcast. Today I have Vishleen Nugent from Microsoft Research, Redmond. Vishleen completed her double major in chemistry and economics at Vanderbilt, after which she headed to University of Washington at St. Louis to do a PhD in chemistry at the interface of organic chemistry, synthesis, and electrochemistry, following which she joined Microsoft Research in Redmond as a senior researcher. Currently, she is working at the intersection of chemistry, biology, computer science, and electrical engineering, while also holding an affiliate assistant professorship at the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at the University of Washington. Her interests are in developing sustainable infrastructure for data centers, including DNA data storage systems, and she also works with the Molecular Information Systems Lab at the Computer Science Department of the University of Washington. And in Microsoft Research, she is affiliated to the intersection of Art and Science Research Group, as well as the Urban Innovation Initiative. Welcome, Vishleen. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Vishleen, you seem to have had quite an experience of traversing academia and industry with equal ease. So, how did it all start for you? Were you always headed to a career path in research or did it something come as a mere serendipitous accident to you? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I've always been interested in science and I think um, that was really instilled uh, from an early age by, by my father. And um, when I went to college, I still had no um, idea whether or not I wanted to um, you know, be an engineer, a scientist, or an economics major, you know, working in business. Um, and I, I, I didn't really know. So what I did was just, I took a lot of different classes. Um, so which is why uh, you can see that I'm also an economics major, because I took um, a variety of classes from history, from classical studies, as well as, um, let's see, literature, um, and then I think as I started uh, my junior year, uh, then I decided I think that I really enjoyed science over the business aspect. And um, then I uh, declared my chemistry major at that time. And um, from then on, I decided I think I wanted to get a PhD because um, I felt like I didn't know enough really as a, um, a bachelor in in, um, in in science or chemistry, so that was my um, my journey there into research. So, in your undergraduate, did you have any research opportunities, or even before in high school? Yeah, in high school, I did not, and I think, um, unfortunately, that yeah, didn't that didn't um, expose me. Um, at that time too much of the engineering side because my high school did not have you know specific engineering classes um, and also did not have uh, much affiliation with a research university um, and so I, I did not have much um, experience doing um, high school research opportunities and nor did I realize that you could do one. So then how was your experience during undergraduate years? Yeah, so undergraduate, it was um, a little bit easier, actually. Um, so it turns out that we have um, advisors, right, that help us decide what classes to take at what time. And um, one of the advisors 
who I talked to at that time mentioned that I should think about doing undergraduate research in, um, in chemistry. And so I started out with, um, I actually didn't know what type of chemistry um, I was interested in because there are just a variety of different topics in chemistry, um, you know, ranging from uh, bio, more biochemistry to um, physical chemistry uh, to organic um, and inorganic chemistry. So I rotated um, in two different labs. One was an organic chemistry research group and then another was an inorganic chemistry research group and I I liked both um, quite a bit. That sounds fun and then you headed off to grad school. So how was your grad school experience like? Um, I would say that in grad school I initially thought I was going to be an inorganic chemist because I really like the fact that um, that if you look at the periodic table, most things are considered to be inorganic chemicals. Um, and I, I wanted to not exclude, you know, the rest of the, the, <laughs> the elements on, on um, the periodic table. Um, but I will have to say that when I joined um, my uh, graduate program, I still did not have a clear set of, of uh, a career path. Um, I was still just very much interested in doing science in general um, and not specifically I have to do this type of science. So in grad school, considering you, know, you did not have anyone prior in your family doing academic, involved in academic research or something of that sort. So how was your grad school experience like for a rank outsider like you? Um, I would say that it was a little challenging and difficult because I, um, I was stressed when I first started and I, it, it was stressful because it, it can be difficult to talk to, um, family members who don't understand the process of getting a academic, um, uh, PhD or higher level education in that terms. Um, and so it would, it was difficult to, um, to get any feedback or advice from them. Um, but I was really fortunate to find a group of fellow graduate students who, um, who helped guide me as well as a advisor um, who was very supportive during my um, career. In fact, uh, I, I would say that in my, uh, at the end of my first year, I actually thought about leaving with just my master's because I didn't know, um, I really didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. So then what changed? What inspired you to keep continuing and keep going on until you had a PhD in hand? Yeah, so I think, um, I think it was really my advisor. Uh, my advisor, uh, essentially said to me, um, and I, 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 pre I remember it relatively um, well, is that what is the worst thing that could happen if you continue your PhD? You could end up with a master's or you could end up with your PhD. And I thought that was um, 
I thought that was really interesting the perspective where where if you just continue doing research um, the the worst option would be just to finish with a master's and uh, and because of that encouragement um, I did continue and then it turns out that I uh, ended up really enjoying uh, what I was doing and creating a, um, a little niche for myself in that lab, in that research lab. That sounds fun and inspiring at the same time. So were there any strong or some sort of wrong expectations on your end of for say someone like your teachers or family during your grad school or undergraduate days? Did they expect you to do something and you ended up doing something else or you yourself expected yourself to do something but you ended up doing something radically different so yes um i think uh, a lot of parents um a lot of parents uh would say that um being a medical doctor is maybe the penultimate um career um uh or the, I'm sorry, the ultimate career path for um, a student um, into who, who's studying um, sciences. And I think my parents really wanted me to be a medical doctor. Uh, and I think I just never thought I would be good with, um, with patients and I didn't have that passion. Um, and so I think it was a little disappointing for my parents in terms of, um, of that. Um, and then um, I think in graduate school, um, there were some, I, I suppose, obstacles there where um, I felt that there was a, you know, a, a, a barrier in how I was perceived as a researcher. And it could be because at that time I was quite, um, quite timid and quite shy and I wanted to be a perfectionist um, and when I wasn't a perfectionist I uh, was very stressed out and um, I think that was perceived pretty negatively and I look back and I, I, and I say wow I shouldn't have I shouldn't have been a perfectionist right I can't know everything um, and it's okay to make mistakes so you had your own phase of imposter syndrome, something that's typically a feature of any grad student. Right. Um, and I will say that imposter syndrome does not stop when you uh, finish um, your undergraduate degree or your graduate degree. Um, I, it's, you know, it, it still happens today quite often. Um, even, um, you know, even at um, UW or Microsoft, and it's not necessarily the culture, but it is the fact that you're surrounded by so many incredibly talented people, and it's hard um, to realize that you have value um, when you're surrounded by these these brilliant people. That does make a lot of sense. And considering you came from an Asian American background, uh, certain sort of stereotypes are attached to Asian Americans due to their prevalence in mostly academic kinds and as well as high paying professions and all. 
So did this affect you in any way? You talked about your experience, your family's experience of expectation of you being a medical doctor, but your career path took you somewhere else. And were there any other stereotypes that you had to face during your grad school or even right now, or when you start working at Microsoft or elsewhere or for being for your ethnicity or something else? Mm -hmm. No, um, I, I think that's a really fair question and um, something I've been thinking about recently. So um, there is a stereotype for Asians, right, that they are very good at math, they are very high performers, um, but it tends to be specifically um, those who have a high socioeconomic background. And um, my, as, and, and, there, it, it's often um, ethnically um, more uh, dominated by um, um, Chinese, uh, not Chinese cultures, but um, countries in Asia, such as China or Taiwan or um, Japan um, or Korea, that have um, immigrants that come from higher um, economic backgrounds or um, or educational, their parents had a higher educational backgrounds. Um, I think that because I am a Vietnamese, um, with Vietnamese uh, ethnicity, and I also came to the United States as actually a refugee, that uh, I was I was kind of lumped or expected to have, um, uh, you know, uh, as much privilege as the. Um, the generic um, Asian student. Um, so I think that there was a there is a kind of a, a stereotype there that was hard to um, to get over. Yeah. So you said you came here to America as a refugee. So was that experience wholly have a significant impact on you? which I may believe it did. And how did it sort of later on as you progressed, did it have a sort of, did you have some diabolical moments because of that? Yeah, um, so yeah, so um, in terms of um, coming in as a refugee, um, I think the impact that I had was that when we arrived um, in America, my parents had no formal um, degree, right? So um, I, I essentially, my, my mom uh, has, uh, I think, a high school diploma, and my father at that time um, also had a high school diploma. But what I think was fascinating was that I watched him get a um, undergraduate degree and a, um, a master's degree at the age of 40 or 45, um, and so I thought that was really inspiring um, that if, you know, if you can go back to school at such an age, then, um, then I can do it as well, or I can, uh, you know, achieve my dreams. That's a really fantastic experience you talked about your father. So this was something, so there seems, even though the diplomas are one thing, but there was a strain of education that ran through your family. I'm sorry, there was a what? Uh, there was a sense of 
being uh, educated education as a priority was, was something very important for your family and for your family members yes yeah, so i think um i think my parents or my father at least recognized that um in order to have a good job um or be able to provide your um provide for your family that you needed a at least a um a bachelor's degree um in and so that you could get you know a um a job in um a field versus doing um unskilled labor yeah so that's typical of quite a few immigrant parents as well as asian americans as we talked about so coming to this so after your grad school, you headed off to Microsoft Research, working as a postdoctoral researcher before you joined as a researcher full time. So how was it transitioning from academia to an industrial setting? Yeah, um, I will have to say that I was initially very, uh, I had a lot of imposter syndrome at that time because I, um, you know, my background, my uh, formal background is in chemistry. And then all of a sudden I'm in this, um, I'm in a technology company, uh, which is a, a career option that I never thought um, uh, existed for me because I thought that Microsoft was specifically only um, software engineering, computer science um, based. Um, and so I also didn't know that there was a research division. I, 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 I did not know that. And then when I arrived, I, um, was really kind of amazed that uh, Microsoft Research had so many opportunities in terms of um, really interdisciplinary work, um, you know, working on uh, uh, genome sequencing and, and, and pr um, projects associated with tracking um, viral um, uh, viruses across different populations, such as um, Project Premonition. It's, it was just amazing, amazing. So it was very much a um, an academic setting, but in a research, I'm sorry, in an industrial setting as well. That sounds wonderful. And you talked about how you weren't even aware of the resource division of Microsoft. So this is a challenge in first generation immigrants or first generation students face a lot because for them academia is a Tackling academia as a rank outsider is quite daunting. And contrary to many expectations, academia suffers from the same problems that many other professions suffer. So how did you come to sort of establish a band of key net mentors and network and friends around you in grad school that helped you sort of get through these opportunities and know more about these? Yeah, so I actually was quite um, fortunate um, in this aspect. I don't um, think that, um, I really don't think uh, if I um, ha hadn't had um, contact with my, um, my mentor at Microsoft that I would have known about, you know, a position um, at um, Microsoft Research. I think um, there's a lot of silos in academia where groups um, tend to work, you know, within the same field and um, they don't uh, often have the time to branch out to different fields and see where that intersection of, of you know, different 
um, technical backgrounds come into, uh, you know, come and merge and interplay. Um, so uh, I, I was really uh, fortunate in that aspect. I don't think it's very common, but I do wish it were more common. And I think it is to have more multidisciplinary research. So interdisciplinary is not only a buzzword, but this seems to be something as a functional part of your environment at Microsoft. Yes, yes, it's uh, absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's the recognition that no research happens in a silo, right? That research is built upon previous research and that, um, and that um, I guess the world revolves around many technologies that work in unison. That's an incredible point you have made. And this is something, basic science research as well as interdisciplinary research is something that powers modern day scientific research, even now. Mm -hmm. So coming to your work, so how exactly, so what were you working on during your grad school days? Uh, I worked on so many different projects and I think that's what really, uh, drove me um, to interdisciplinary work. <laughs> I had um, various projects from sustainability projects and thinking about how um, we could make new polymers from, from um, wood, such as lignin. Um, when I say lignin, it, lignin is a um, component of wood. It's, it's um, the second most um, found component behind uh, cellulose and hemicellulose. Um, so I had projects on, on you know, developing new monomers from, uh, from lignin. Um, I had a project on CO2 reduction um, at electrical, uh, electrochemical surface um, with collaborators um, at another university. So it was I was really uh, working collaboratively um, at that time, I, I had experiments on sustainable um, electrochemistry, um, catalysis. So yeah, that I've been, <laughs> I would say that I've worked on quite a bit of um, things in grad school, but I think it all, um, all tied in together in terms of sustainable chemistry. That's a really fantastic experience learning about the mighty things you dabbled in. It seems like you dabbled in a whole spectrum of chemistry and something sustainability is a key issue that's going to shape the 21st century dialogue as we enter a key reckoning with climate change and all. So did this sort of work carry over onto your postdoctoral research at Microsoft and currently what you're doing or did you transition into something wholly different? Um, I did transition initially to something quite different, um, and, and that was uh, that was um, DNA data storage, um, which has been such a such a great um, thing to work on, a project to work on. The I I think that having a good foundational knowledge of um, biochemical systems um, allows you to transition as a researcher to different um, fields. And I think that's what's, um, I think that's really the value of having a PhD, right? Is to understand how to learn about new fields and how to apply your learnings um, to something that is unknown. 
um, uh, I also say would say that my um, my love for sustainability um, in uh, in chemistry and materials has uh, has also been um, a very interesting journey at Microsoft because um, Microsoft does have a um, a sustainability effort, right, to help mitigate climate change, and um, it's it's been really interesting to think about what projects um, could be um, could be uh, implemented at at Microsoft Research. Yeah, and speaking of DNA data storage systems, data storage systems are ubiquitous in today's world, where data is the new oil, is the new catch phase, and Considering data storage systems take a lot of space, DNA data storage systems seems to do the thing in a jiffy. And that seems to make a huge lot of impact in, sust in sustainability as well as reducing our burden on the environment. So how closely, so were you always sort of envisaged this sort of impact or this was again some sort of serendipitous reckoning that was only uh, familiar to you in hindsight? Um. In terms of the sustainability aspect, yeah, yeah. So I, I, we, um, that's really interesting. Um, so there was always a um, understanding that uh, DNA is a biological material, right? So um, as a biological material, it can degrade and go back into the carbon cycle. Um, however, um, you know, when we're thinking about sustainability, you should really think about it from a complete life cycle. Um, a point of view from, you know, production all the way to disposal. And I think, um, I think since uh, I started this project, um, or I started working on this project, uh, thinking about the full life cycle um, it, it is something that is, is very new um, to, uh, to me. Um, but it, it's been a very interesting to think about DNA in terms of of storage, in terms of um, production, in terms of um, density, and then uh, end-of-life disposal. So a lot of the work that you are doing in Microsoft Research seems to be something that one will also do in an academic setting. So sort of disputing the notion of industrial research and academic research being totally different silos, as you talked about earlier. So you have also been collaborating with the University of Washington Computer Science Department. So how has it been mingling both academia and industry in, at your current stage of your career? I absolutely love it. And I, I, and I will say that I love it because um, the group that I'm in, which is the Molecular Information Systems Group, is actually quite interdisciplinary. Um, it is a very interdisciplinary uh, group from, um, you know, all the way from um, ML to fluidics and automation to um, biologists, uh, molecular biologists working on uh, DNA computation. Um, and I think it's very synergistic um, to, um, to what we do at Microsoft as well. So I, I think that um, having that academic group where um, the academic group understands the value of, of not only being a domain expert, but you know, um, working on these multidisciplinary larger um, projects is also important. So you seem to be enjoying a lot of things that you are doing, both in academia and industry. 
So was there, I'm just inclined to ask, was there at any point of time, did you encounter any major dilemmas or conflicts, something like balancing personal or professional life or thinking about taking up another opportunity elsewhere or something of that sort? I, yes. Um, uh, I think <laughs> there's, you know, there's always um, some everyday struggle or weekly struggle where um, things don't work as you expected. And that happens quite often in research. And you think to yourself, um, and you get frustrated actually, because you, you think it should work, but it, it doesn't. Um, so those are, you know, they're, they're very much everyday um, little aspects. But I think that uh, as, a, as a researcher, you realize that that is just part of, part of part of the job and part of life. Um, and because you're passionate about uh, research in general and understanding why something fails, not just creating something that works, um, it, you know, that hasn't been um, very, um, that doesn't discourage as much as one would think. Now, in terms of work-life balance, um, I think <laughs> oftentimes researchers um, associate their life with their life's work. Um, so I, I, I do see that um, that, that um, from, you know, a typical point of view, there might be um, saying that, you know, researchers don't have any life, work-life balance, but um, I think the, the value um, that researchers put into their research um, is, is so important to them um, that that is what makes them happy to do. Yeah, and coming to 2020, 2020 was an incredible year in so many ways. And as the world entered, as a pandemic broke out, the world entered a very a lockdown phase where virtual reality became far more ubiquitous than we initially thought. So how did 2020 and the ongoing pandemic have any impact on you, on you as a person or you as a researcher or any other aspect of your life? Yes, um, it so so um, it had it had a lot of impact because it changed the way we did meetings. It changed the way that we also um, had time to work in either a hardware lab or a wet lab um, due to restrictions in terms of um, um, personnel who could be at any given location at any given time. Um, but I think there's also an interesting um, thing that happened is that. Um, in the pandemic, um, I started collaborating with other research groups um, on understanding more about COVID-19 and transmission, uh, how, to, how to track transmissions, um, as well as thinking about mask efficacy and, uh, you know, decontamination methods for masks. So I think um, in that aspect, I've learned so much um, about uh, disease, uh, pathology, uh, as well as, um, you know, how to de-risk uh, certain um, daily, um, you know, da daily uh, protocols or, or just daily life, how to de-risk certain aspects when you are um, involved in a, 
global pandemic. So how hard or how easy was it to pivot from doing what you were doing to COVID-19 research? Um, so I still do, uh, you know, research that I um, have always have been doing at Microsoft, but um, pivoting to COVID-19 research was more of a side project um, that I was working on. And it was trying, it was, a, it was relatively um, easy and straightforward because COVID-19 um, really just, it, it just changed everything so quickly um, that a lot of researchers um, and, and my collaborators are at the University of Washington um, were very interested in understanding how they could help, right? Because we all wanted to make sure that everyone was safe and that the pandemic would be able to pass as quickly as possible. Um, so it, it wasn't uh, challenging to, to, to start thinking of and, and beginning to do um, research on COVID-19. So as you said, there was massive changes happening all around and a lot of, in academy, a lot of conferences and a lot of workshops and those moved online and many things happened at a quick pace. So were there any changes that you feel that should be retained in the long term? Um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, let's, let me, let me think about that a little bit. I will say that, um, what is very difficult during a pandemic um, and social distancing is conferences. It's very difficult, I think, to host and have a conference because everyone is in a different time zone. Um, and because everyone's in a different time zone, it's hard to uh, meet, you know, ex uh, to be able to interact with people as well as listen to different people's talks or poster sessions. Um, in terms of what I think should be maintained, um, I think it's, well, I think um, what we've learned from the pandemic is that um, when people stay at home, it turns out there's less pollution um, and less pollution has, has really, um, in a way, increased certain qualities of life for wildlife um, and, and maybe potentially have impacts in how we think about commuting to work and um, commuting in general. So I think it's important to think about how, um, how you know, being at home um, impacts the environment. Right, and so in 2020, we also suffered a reckoning with the key issues of the time, right, from racial justice to climate change and all. So in academia, for too long, there are some issues like gender disparity, bias, discrimination against underrepresented groups or ethnic minorities that have plagued academia for long. So were you on the receiving end at any point of time? And if yes, how did you exactly confront it? And it can be in any academic setting, not necessarily in academia, even in your industrial research lab that you're currently in. Did you have to face any of, of this sort of thing? Yes. Um, so yes, I have been, um, uh, while I was in undergraduate and graduate school, um, there have been instances where I um, had been discriminated against 
either due to my gender or my race. Um, my race was mostly, um, um, you know, in, in the community um, that I was living in. Um, and then um, I had some, uh, I guess, uh, gender, there was some gender bias um, in the uh, hard sciences that I, um, I was there. And yes, it was very, I would say that it was demoralizing and discouraging, um, but, um, I, you know, it, it's very hard to change um, these, these biases um, and, um, you know, I don't know how to, how to change it, but yes, I did experience it. So, yeah, so coming to this uh, part, so, so what message will you have for, say, a rank, say, an undergraduate or a high school student who looks at your career path as a first generation student and the way you have crisscrossed was towards academia and even right now you're working at the intersection of multiple different fields and you know, how easily you have transitioned from an academic role to an industrial academic role. So what sort of message do you have for them? Yeah, I would have the message is that my main takeaway is that you should always pursue something that you love and whether that be science, whether that be engineering, whether that be art, whether that be history, um, you should pursue something that you love because only if you love it, will you be able to, um, you know, you'll be able to, essentially you'll be able to overcome, you know, any obstacles that come into your way if you love it. Um, and at the same time, you should realize your own worth, right? Um, it's hard to, um, and, and along the way, find good mentors, good friends, good fellow grad students um, that will help you realize your self-worth and um, help and nurture your growth. Um, I think that's very important as well. Um, I also think that, you know, one of the, one of the things there is um, by not, by, you know, recognizing your worth, it doesn't mean that you'll be 100% confident all the time. Um, there will always be, you know, some self-doubt, but realize that everyone else has those self-doubts as well. And so, um, and, and, you know, because of that, it, it just means that you're human and, you know, research is part of humans exploring their natural world. That's an incredibly wonderful advice you have given. So finally, as one of the wrap-up questions, so is there anything that keeps you up at night? Um, that keeps me up at night. Um, yeah, I research questions keep me up at night. Um, the state of uh, the world keeps me up at night sometimes. Um, but uh, no, no, nothing, nothing too bad because I, I think as, you know, as humans, as a, as a researcher, you know, we always are interested in the next challenge and, and, and being kept up at night is um, not necessarily stress, but more of, of just thinking about 
uh, how we can uh, learn more about our, our natural world. That ha this has been an incredible conversation with you, Vishleen. Thanks a lot for your time. So finally, as a Random Works podcast tradition, which three people would you like to come and divulge their experience in a random walk? Ah, um, well, I'd love to have Vashnavi Rangathan because uh, she's my colleague and she has a different background um, than I do. So I think it would be really interesting um, uh, there. Um, I think it would also be interesting um, in terms of um, this podcast to have, um, let's say, maybe a graduate student um, working um, maybe specifically in, in one um, science uh, field. And I, so I don't, I don't have a, a recommendation for, for uh, that student. Um, and then I think it'd be interesting for um, someone who is in another field that may not be a science-related or STEM field. Thank you. That's an incredible list of people you have listed out. It has been a pleasure conversing with you, and thanks a lot for your time. Thank you so much, too.